Oh my gosh, thank you. I had a wonderful nap during that break. <laughs> Getting up at quarter of five in the morning, man. I don't know how people do that. My wife gets up early to go to the gym. I mean, it's okay, never mind. I just can't do it. What a whiner I am, huh? Men, we whine a lot. I saw a funny commercial about man flu. You know, when men get the flu, we completely regress back to like four years old, start sucking our thumb, calling her for our mother. But nonetheless, so just kind of back, going back to the whole national anthem thing and the NFL and all of that, great kitchen table debates, which at the end of the day, you know, and some people don't agree with this, but this is the best. Who was that? Is he on? Oh, sweet. (laughs) Hi there. For some reason, I had in my mind you were coming in. And we baked a cake, didn't we? <laughs> Steve, what's you're, going you're, on? Six twenty-four in the morning. Not your a heck wife of a gets lot. Up at five in the morning to go exercise. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, huh? That's like, <laughs> yeah, she's probably, I get up at five in the morning to I don't know, surf the internet, take care of my dogs. If um, I'm at five in the morning, it's like usually that, pro- yeah. it's prostate related. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? saw palmetto and they told me it works and it's a bunch of junk great to have you on the show it's great because i know we're going to be talking about some really cool stuff so steve do me a great favor and give me your intro so the listening motoring etc public knows exactly what uh who you are and what level of expertise you're coming to the table with to talk about a really sensitive <laughs> subject I, I'm I'm really what you would call a, a political blogger, an, an armchair pundit. I am what the Republican Party calls one of those troubling people that wrecks everything. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, a good job I'm to have. Is there, is there basically health? a constitutional conservative, again, an armchair yep. constitutional yep. conservative. Yep. I write for GraniteRock.com. I run a website called New Media Militia that aggregates content from around New Hampshire, primarily, and uh, around the world with a focus on New Hampshire or issues that affect New Hampshire. Very cool. And uh, I also do this once in a while. Yep. And uh, so it's a really weird hobby. I, I have a lot of friends who are like, how can you stand it? You know, it's it's so, it can be so divisive and, you know, politics and culture can be so, uh, ho- like, seems like hostile all the time. And mm-hmm. and I tell people, I go, well, you know, it, it's, it's really kind of always been like this underneath. It's only yes. recently after the election of Trump that it's all sort of bubbled up to the top. And everybody's really alarmed at at how this guy who didn't have a lot of political experience ended up being the president. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's very telling because a lot of people in America saw this as something important to them that was different from what they'd been getting for years and years and years. And a lot of people registered to vote for this guy. And whether you like him or not or whether you think he's great or not, there's a bigger picture here yes. that tells us about the culture and about people and where politics and what uh, Angela Cotavia called the ruling class have been taking the country. Yes, And um, a lot of that has to come from someplace. So you have to ask yourself, well, what do you see? What's going on? And um, I think, and, and you as an associate dean at SNHU, you are on a college campus all the time. Um, you know, criminal justice and social science mm. is, is this melded thing that, that looks at how people are being human beings and how that relates to law and all this other good mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, on a campus, you see a lot of things, you hear a lot of things, you hear about I don't know, microaggressions, bias incidents, speech codes, language guides, safe spaces, free speech zones, hate speech, cultural appropriation. Uh, <laughs> you see students who, who have a right to get up and protest and object um, leaning towards a more militant presence, um, the promise of a more militant presence, and in some cases, some actual violence. Mm-hmm. And whether it's perpetrated by them or not, there is this, in my mind, prevailing notion that they're somehow 
advocating it. So right. I like to look at where that comes from. I'm like, how how are they getting from this position where they're going to school to learn about how to learn, to learn about the world? And they end up pretty much saying, well, we don't like this particular kind of speech, so we don't want to have to listen to it. But uh-huh. this is the United States, right? right? Free speech is a founding cornerstone stone of our republic. And we're like, you can't do anything about that. You have to let people speak. So you, you find these incidents. Um, and I, I did send you that list of states mm. that uh, had actually had to pass some laws yes, that, that protected campus speech, speech free speech on campus. Yep. In publicly funded schools primarily. And I think... I think there were a few examples where it was privately funded, but I was always concerned about public money and public education technically funded with public money yep. and how that was relating to free speech. So I went through and I tried to find a couple of local examples of things where we saw microaggression or mm-hmm. some sort of thing have an effect on some kind of expression of free speech. And the University of New Hampshire has been a, a pretty interesting hotbed of these sorts of things. Um, the website uh, Campus Reform mm-hmm. last year declared UNH the most microaggressive campus in America, which is a lovely distinction. So when you Excuse say microaggressive, me. I mean, what is that for, for Joe Lunchbox? What does that actually mean? What does that translate to? Well, somebody's said something or warned something mm-hmm. or, or used a term or phrase that, that has somehow made somebody else feel uncomfortable. Oh, boy, that could be um, just about anything. It could be just about anything. And that's, right. it's like, uh, you know, the, the big kerfuffle everybody remembers around here was U, when UNH had, had this uh, bias-free language guide that had actually been floating around online for a year and a half or more until it was discovered. And it had some interesting things about the kinds of language they wanted to use. It wasn't compelled speech. It was just, it was kind of like a guideline. It said, well, we thought, we thought about these words, words like American and handicapped and, and people of color and you know, things like that. And mm-hmm. we thought, well, these will make people feel uncomfortable. It'll make them feel like you've pigeonholed them. You, know? mm-hmm. uh, you put a label on them. And, and if they feel uncomfortable about that, we'd, we'd like to stop that. And that's... You know, that sort of thinking really limits the language, it limits your ability to communicate an idea, and it really sort of forces you, in some cases, not to speak at all, especially if there's any kind of retribution for that. Oh, yeah. So, um, um, UNH also, yep. <laughs> and I think that was this year, um, some UNH students called for the removal of a display on street harassment, which is a whole other topic, um, but it was put up by the Sexual Harassment Rate Prevention Program at UNH, okay. and this street harassment display made so many people uncomfortable that in less than a day it was already taken down. So they were actually trying to use um, some of their own language to explain how, mm-hmm. you know, make people aware of the kinds of microaggressions that can happen while you're walking around in the world, and people at UNH, who were supposed to be benefiting from that, were so uncomfortable that they had to take it down. Um, Two UNH professors of English and Women's Studies Mm -hmm. called for the expulsion of some uh, unidentified Trump supporters uh, at a campus Mm -hmm. rally. Uh, And then, of course, UNH had its Cinco de Mayo uh, riot in air quotes. Again, people felt cultural appropriation inappropriate, got everybody all wound up. So none of these is flattering. all of them appear to be the product of a, a campus culture where being offended or made uncomfortable 
by some sort of speech or expression as justification for trying to silence that speech or expression. And Boy, my concern, you'd have to really as, define uncomfortable. I, you know, what does that mean? What's the meter on discomfort? Uh, you know, I just that to me as an old guy, I don't really understand that. I don't, I don't understand either. how it's, 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 it really it's, has, I agree with you completely. I mean, yeah. they, these are the words that are used when they report it. These are some of the words that are that are captured by, like, the New Hampshire when they report it for the UNH paper. With the, the, mm. the, you know, Dart blog up in Dartmouth reports on a lot of things that go on on the Dartmouth campus. Of course, Dartmouth has its own college paper. Yeah. They use these kinds of ideas to talk about creating this perfect environment where everybody can just – it's almost – it's not – they don't use the word utopian, but it kind of seems like they're trying to come up with this campus environment where you have all these people from all these different places who use all these different words to get them to all homogenize their way of thinking so that they don't say anything that might make somebody else go, hey, I'm kind of insulted by that. And that's what I mean when I say uncomfortable. But Boy, again, it's so subjective. Boredom, as you know, you on. can't define oh. what people, what makes people uncomfortable. You can't know in advance and to try and do that, shut speech down. Mm-hmm. And in America, that just—I don't know how people would even think that's reasonable. It, it, it's Soviet when you think about it. Harkins—you know—it's—it's it's the origin of the term politically correct, which is rampantly out of control, and it's stifling provocation, which is the, which is the foundation for thinking. Right. To get you to think. In provocation, not, you know, no, no one is right about everything all the time, but I want, you have, should have the right to say it. Yeah, if it's provocation that results in a fight, if it <clears> provokes <throat> someone to a violent reaction, that's not protected. That's fine. You know, you can't yell bomb or fire in a crowded movie theater, etc., and you can't use, and it's right not to use words that would hurt someone's feelings, i.e., like the N-word and things like that. But it's gone to me. It seems to me it's really just gone so far outside the boundaries of common sense right now that we're, it's, it's, it's watering thought right down to nothing. It is, it is difficult to operate in that environment. You, you know, and again, a university campus, as I've always, you know, as my kids were going through public school and I stuff, and I always mm-hmm. told them, I said, you want to look for opportunities to learn how to think, not what to think. Mm-hmm. Um, even in an environment where you think somebody is trying to tell you what's, what you should think, whether it's culturally, politically, or whatever, you should look for the way in which they got to that point. How did, what was the thinking process? How did you arrive at that conclusion? And then you question the conclusion, and you go, all right, well, I- I'm supposed to learn how to think, not what to think. They're telling me what to think, but how did they get there? So, and where does this stop, how- Steve? That's the thing. Where does this stop? Where does this I don't have I mean, is somebody going to tell me if I go sit in a club and jam because I love to play guitar and uh-huh. I look to emulate somebody like BB King? Are they going to tell me you can't do that? That's well, cult- that's what that's I wonder. I mean, no, how how are you supposed to go out for Mexican? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> should I not go in and play a Santana song? Right. I mean, where does this stop? That's that's the serious question. I mean, and that is a legitimate form of expression. I mean, is it speech? Maybe it is. I mean, music is definitely considered protected for the most part. So right. um, you're talking about playing any particular style of music. Any, I mean, there's a there's a case coming up, but before the Supreme Court that has to do with um, religious protections for bakers and photographers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the guy who's actually 
taken this case all the way to the court is claiming that making a cake is a form of artistic expression. So yeah. I'm really curious to see how that turns out, not just because, you know, whether or not they decide he has a religious right to refuse service to somebody mm -hmm. as a private business owner, but if they decide that this is, in fact, some form of artistic expression. And then to your point, what if it was a cake that had some sort of ethnic you know, theme to it. And now we're talking about cultural appropriation of uh, artistic form of bakery that, you know, and you just think it's crazy. You're, no. you know. Oh. oh, it's nuts. But Rich, um, to the earlier point, you can't wrap any argument of con that has any snippet of common sense around this now. It's difficult, you know, and so states have gone out of their way to try to pass some laws. Now, I've always thought, you know, states have constitutions. We yeah. have the U.S. Constitution. I, I don't know of any example where uh, free speech expression or um, religion isn't protected. And so, but some of these states have gone out of their way to mm -hmm. come up with additional legislation to try and send a message to college campuses and, and you know, publicly, uh, college campuses that take public money that, that they can't have uh, speech zones or uh, they can't tell groups like religious groups that they can't organize or choose leaders that reflect their beliefs. Um, and you gotta, you gotta wonder, you know, what this is the environment we're talking about is the environment that has fostered this need. These legislators are, are coming together and saying, this is so bad. And we seem so incapable of, of explaining or expressing how you need to let these people exercise their first amendment rights that we have to write new laws <sighs> that, that oh, tell wow. them, look, there's a, there's a price for this. You you want to do this. You're not private. You know, you take public money. Right. Therefore, you are limited in, you know, the sorts of things you can do that limit other people's speech. But I'm not even sure how effective these are. I sent you the list with the links. I haven't had a chance to go through it. But the first one yep. on that list is Arizona and might be the only one we get to. Yep. But it says, no public institution of higher education can restrict a student's right to speak in a public forum defined as an outdoor publicly accessible portion of the campus unless the school narrowly tailors its restriction to advance a compelling government interest. Which and is hold normal. that thought right there, Steve, the narrowly piece as we go to pay some bills at 638 here on Gerard at Large. All righty. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. See you.